0: Casey Munchkin! Try are you gamers and you'll hear my tale Of an Odyssey Tale game that was once for sale Cause it paid for bag the box, it won it's fave And K.C. Munchkin was the name of that game Casey Munchkin, no, what is it, Pac-Man? K.C. Munchkin, we made it up ourselves! We have no idea why the lawyers at Atari wanted off the shelves.
1: So, here we are with episode two of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. This is Sean, Janitor Sean, whatever you want to call me, I don't care. Uh, thank you all for tuning in uh, one more time and for your feedback and everything. Got some great response. So last time I talked to you, uh, I hadn't yet experienced the holidays yet. Um, man, Carrie Fisher died. Like when I finished production on the episode, but before I actually released it, so I had to hurry up and sneak a couple of little Carrie Fisher tributes in there. I hope you all, uh, noticed, but, uh, man, that was rough. 2016 was such a rough year. Um, we're four days into January, 2017, as I record this and so far, as far as I know, we haven't lost anybody notable yet. And I know people have had personal losses, which is, which of course is terrible. And, you know, I feel my, my heart goes out to them. But, um, anyway, regarding the holidays, it was a typical Christmas for my wife and me. Uh, what usually happens is, uh, and this year was no different is my mother-in-law flew in and spent, uh, about a week with us. She lives in New Jersey. So, uh, she flew in and, uh, we had our Christmas over at my parents' house, as we usually do. My parents have uh, my brother and his family over, and my wife and I also go over there. Um, everybody's like talking about, hey, here's what I got for Christmas and all this. Just like most people, I, I imagine listening to this. I got the, uh, the Atari Flashback Portable. I love that little thing. The only criticism I have about it is that the sound emulation is off. All the sounds play back at about a whole step below what they should be. The thing is I usually play that thing with the volume down. So it doesn't really bother me that much because I'm on mass transit when I'm playing it. It's a good way to pass time on the way to work. I play, I've been playing a lot of video pinball. Uh, I knew there were going to be some compatibility issues or always is with some kind of software emulation. So it doesn't really bother me that much. So I also got the book, the art of Atari, which is a beautiful, beautiful book about, uh, well, I didn't have a chance to read it yet, but I thumbed through it really quickly. It's just absolutely amazing. It really is as good as everybody says from the few seconds I spent with it. So I I got that. And um, New New Year's Eve weekend, my wife and I did what we usually do. We stayed home and basically vegged out and just stayed comfortable. What we've been doing for the past few years was binging out on Mad Men because we love that show so much. This year, we, we decided to change things up. We decided to watch all seven seasons of 30 rock. We got through the first season so far. We're still, uh, we still have to watch the rest of them. Um, So anyway, that's what um, my life has been like. Oh yeah. And uh, what was really cool was that the way the holidays fell this year was that I had uh, the day after Christmas off, they actually closed the office the day before Christmas Eve too. So from December 23rd, And I still had three and a half days left of vacation time. So I took those in the last week. I only had to go in for four hours on Friday, December 30th. So between December 23rd and New Year's Eve, I worked four hours. It was amazing. And if I hadn't gotten sick earlier in the year, I wouldn't have had to take half a sick day (laughs) and I wouldn't have been in at all, but it was still pretty cool. It was great. Except that Friday I woke up, my back was hurting and <laughs> I thought I just slept wrong. So I was like, okay, let me just flip over. And it just got gradually worse over the day. It got to be excruciating. So I had my wife take me over to the urgent care place and I told them, look, my back's hurting and all this. And, uh, they ran my vital signs and they're like, yeah, you probably have a, uh, kidney infection. It's like, what? <laughs> they said, yeah, if it doesn't get any better within the next day, go to the emergency room. Well, seriously, the next day I felt a million percent better and I've been great ever since. <laughs> so I I'm pretty sure it was just muscular. So that was fun uh, that I was looking at possibly spending new year's weekend, um, in great pain, but thankfully I didn't, um, also went to galloping ghost arcade with uh, my friend and other podcasting co-host Jimmy G and uh, spent a few hours there, played some really cool games. Like there was one called uh, Turkey Shoot, which is a Williams game in which it's not one I'm terribly familiar with, but it's obviously from the early 80s. And what happens is a gang of turkeys holds up like either a theater or a bank, and your job is to shoot them and make sure they don't get off the screen with the money. <laughs> uh, and you you control a gun. It's not really a light gun because there's crosshairs on that. Light guns don't use crosshairs. But uh, anyway, that was pretty much how my time off was i had some great times what else can i say i have a couple of things i should mention first of all phil the no swear gamer is rerunning his original atari 7800 game by game podcast you can go subscribe to that and you'll get basically a quote-unquote classic episode kind of like how in the comics in the newspaper you can still read classic peanuts which i also recommend by the way And also, don't forget that in the next episode, I will be giving away an Edladen Seagull 78 adapter. And for those of you who don't know, the the Edladen Seagull 78 is an adapter that you stick onto your Sega Genesis controller... And then you plug that into the Atari 7800 and you have a Sega Genesis controller that has separately functioning fire buttons. So for 7800 games that require or work better with two separate fire buttons, uh, Xevious comes to mind off the top of my head, and the Homebrew Scramble too, actually, you can now use a Sega Genesis controller. Without the Ed Ladin or a similar adapter, the Sega Genesis controller really only has just one fire button for all practical purposes but uh the ed seagull 78 solves that problem and if you want to get in on the action and get a chance to uh win it what you need to do is email me at homebrew78 at fab4it.com that's fab4it.com the number four, it.com. and tell me one of the following um uh, what's your favorite 7800 homebrew Or if you don't know what your favorite is because perhaps you don't have any or never played any, uh, say which. Before we go any further, I got some late beef drop feedback that was the previous episode. Uh, I got some feedback on that game that was uh, unfortunately came in a little bit too late for me to um, address on the previous episode, so I'd like to address it now. Rick R says, this is all on Atari.io. Very friendly forum over there, I, I got to say. Uh, Rick R says, I love Burger Time in the arcade and the various home versions, but the name Beef Drop is not good. It has a bathroom connotation, if you ask me. <laughs> and this, I don't think I really addressed this in detail in the previous episode, but if you go to Atari Age and if you were to read the original Beef Drop thread when it was first a. Homebrew in disguise for the 5200. I think that was actually kind of the intention, just to have some kind of like sly nine-year-old potty humor. (laughs) I do know it got a lot of laughs uh, with that that name. Um, The professor says, um, I agree, and I wish it had a different name. I didn't want to be critical, though, because the game's author is a good guy, and he did a superb job bringing this title to the 7800. I have no complaints about the game outside of the name. It's as good as the arcade. I wish licensing rights had been different, and the game could have been released as Burger Time. Thanks to the professor, and thank you, Rick R. By the way, uh, I don't know if it's so much to do with licensing per se. I think it was more just to kind of self protection, more or less, because uh, taking consideration all of the Bob De Crescenzo conversions, they all retain the same title. But uh, Ken Siders takes a different approach. Like Burger Time became Beef Drop, Cubert became Bonk. In fact, um, little rumor has it I might be able to get an interview with the uh, creator of Cubert. Might be able to get his insights on uh, on this. Um, and what else? Oh yeah, the upcoming Frogger port, which has been. Seriously, I, I know I said this before, but you have to try that out. The Ram is on Atari Age in, uh, in a discussion thread. It is amazing. But Ken did a frog report and called it froggy but um going on we heard from atari lbc who is a guy yes thank you atari lbc for clarifying that because previous episode i was like i don't know what gender this is my might is it wrong for me to assume he's a guy <laughs> but uh, anyway um he says dang sorry i didn't get something in before the belt fine that's fine i'm not you know this is my podcast i'm the one who has to be sorry for anything you you just get to sit back and relax so don't worry <laughs> um beef drop is a great homebrew title, especially with the pokey sound. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. The controls are responsive, and it retains the core gameplay and frenetic pace of the original. My one critique is that it is underwhelming graphically. I wish the sprites were a little more colorful and better animated. Other than that, it faithfully replicates the Burger Time experience on the 7800. Okay, thank you for that Atari LBC. I kind of yeah like i mentioned in the previous episode i mean yeah some of the sprites could be a little bit better uh like the chef pete sprite isn't exactly how peter pepper looks in the arcade game the way i see it is if you consider if you kind of imagine that perhaps there was never such a game as burger time at all i wonder if uh uh people's opinions on how the sprites look and all that and some of the graphics look if they'd be different uh but anyway, let's go on to some more feedback oh, and this. This is interesting here because Justin, who's one of the admins at Atari.io, says uh, great game by Ken Siders. The 7800 feels like it has a Swiss cheese library with lots of holes in it where certain games should have been. But we're absent. Ken Siders did a great job filling in the blanks, fixing history with getting Burger Time and Cubert to the 7800, despite the different names. Great games couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, Ken Siders, he's done a fantastic job porting some arcade titles to the 7800, and I certainly hope he's not done. Bob DiCrescenzo as well. I certainly hope he's not done. And there are other developers out there who are who have been adding to the 7800's uh, legacy, actually, and uh, I feel terrible. I can't... Uh, Breck Brixius. Breck Brixius uh, did a wonderful game called um, Alpha Race, which is loosely based on Omega Race, and of course that will be discussed at a later time, but we have some other great folks out there who are doing wonderful things in the 7,800. And I'm really, really excited about uh, what's coming up. Uh, really hoping that uh, the new homebrewers are going to be out soon. Looking really forward to that. But um, I also got a response about uh, the previous episode from uh, Gary James Harris on Facebook regarding, uh, I, I was talking about the Deco system that uh, data East had uh, of changing the game rather than the entire cabinet, saving people some money here. And I had wondered out loud what DECO stood for completely. Um, and uh, Gary James Harris says, Deco, Data East Corporation. Hmm. If that's all it is, that's craziness there. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, great podcast. Well, thank you, Gary. Um, I'm lucky I have a beef drop for the 7800, and it's a favorite game of mine from the 80s. I don't like any of the updated versions that are about, as most detract from the original black background, making it confusing. Also, if you have level scrolling, again, that's not warranted. The game is a one-screen game. Yeah, I know exactly. Thank you, Gary, for that. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that there was some... I think it was on my iPhone What uh, some years ago. I downloaded what was supposed to be Burger Time. I don't remember if it was iPhone or something else, but yeah, it was a game that was called Burger Time, and it was the same concept. You're on platforms, you're building burgers, you have enemies and all that. I do remember that instead of uh, walking across the patties, you actually had to jump on the burger parts to make them fall down, and... It was one of those things where the the animation was just so updated and everything it was more like one of those like cutesy Japanese style cartoons more than actually a video game and I I don't know it's it's fine for new games, but if you're redoing old ones, come on leave the original spirit in and I think and I think I know what you're talking about about that uh scrolling level thing Gary too I think I've seen that before. And, uh, yeah, and something that I've mentioned on uh, on my other podcast, uh, on Pie Factory podcast, is that, uh, Burger Time suffers from modern remakes in which, maybe not so much remakes, but sequels in which it's supposed to be a sequel to Burger Time, but it's more one of those like silly, cutesy, oh, serve everybody these burgers or else a puppy will be sad kind of thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, thanks a lot for that, Gary. Thank you for your, uh, Thank you for your thoughts on that. Oh, by the way, I had mentioned that Beef Drop currently is only available in VE, which, as we found out, means value edition, of course. It turns out that Albert has said that he will make Pokey versions for people who want them. The catch is that you basically have to send him a ball blazer cartridge uh, because I guess the uh, implication is that Albert no longer has access to pokey chips. So basically you have to provide him with one. If you want the pokey edition on speaking of which, if you've never ordered a homebrew from Atari age before, I believe most of the time the cartridges are made to order, which means you place your order Albert gets the order, he puts the cartridge together, does all the soldering and stuff and piecing the shell together, or at least has somebody else do it. I don't know how he does how he does things personally, and then sends it out. So you're not going to get your cartridge right away. So um, I think the longest I ever had to wait personally was two weeks, but uh, give them some time when you place your order. It's you just don't expect it to show up in the mail like in the next day or two. Anyway, thank you all for your beef drop feedback. So let's move on to this episode's topic, Casey Munchkin. Now, this is just my observation. Might be everybody else's too, for all I know, but I'm not sure. But it seems that uh, most of the Atari 7800 homebrews that are currently out there are arcade conversions, which really isn't surprising considering that the 7800 is a great platform to play arcade conversions. And during its original run, the 7800 had many. Of course, there was Robotron, uh, Mario Brothers, Xevious, Joust, Ms. Pac-Man, Xenophobe, and Rampage, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of other ones. But I cannot talk about arcade conversions on the Atari 7800 without talking about what is virtually unanimously reputed to be the best arcade to 7800 conversion officially released ever the wonderful the fantastic food fight if you own an atari 7800 and do not have food fight what's wrong with you go get it right now right now here I'll wait some of the more recent homebrews, however, have been conversions of titles from other consoles. Uh, one thing I can think about right now, except that I suddenly forgot the name of the game, there was a uh, uh, a conversion done of a Intellivision game, but of course there was Casey Munchkin, which was also a one console to another console conversion. Casey Munchkin, for few of you probably who don't know but then again for all I know very few of you do know so just to give you some background on it Casey Munchkin exclamation point was a game on the Magnavox Odyssey 2 it's actually one of the more infamous Pac-Man clones if you want to call it a clone basically what I call a clone is a game that plays like Pat like if you know how to play Pac-Man you can play the game even though it's not really Pac-Man of course everybody knows what Pac-Man is so I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain that in detail. Um, If for whatever reason you're unfamiliar with Pac-Man, just find anybody, I mean anybody over 40 years old, even my parents, and ask for an explanation. So uh, I'm just going to skip over straight to Casey Munchkin, exclamation point, as I'm sure some of you might be unfamiliar with the game. In 1981, Casey Munchkin was released in the United States. Uh, in Europe, it was simply called Munchkin. Didn't have an exclamation point there. And um, the game caused kind of a stir because of its resemblance to Pac-Man. I remember when Casey Munchkin came out because I was excited that you could essentially play Pac-Man on your home video game system. I didn't know what console it was, though. In episode zero, I talked about how my cousins had an Atari 2600. Uh, it was a six switch. I don't remember if it was a heavy switch, uh, heavy sixer or a light sixer. But um, my brother and I, we wouldn't have our 2600 for another year, but I did mention out loud once uh, when we were about to go over to my uh, aunt and uncle's cousin's house, I was like, oh, I hope they have Casey Munchkin. And my brother said, no, that's actually an Odyssey 2 game. It's not an Atari game. I was like, ah, okay. But for those of you who aren't familiar with it, the Odyssey 2 was a video game console that was released in Europe in December of 1978 as the Philips Video Pack G G7000. There was also the video pack G7200, which had a, uh, it had a built-in 9-inch black-and-white monitor. And in North America, it was released in February 1979 under the name Odyssey 2. And in Japan, it was produced by Koton Trading Toitari Enterprise, say that 10 times fast, Uh, in 1982 in September, so they got it kind of late over in Japan. Usually they're the first to get stuff, aren't they? (laughs) But anyway, um, Brazil also had a version of the console which they called the Philips Odyssey. Now when you think of home video gaming, by default you probably think Atari or possibly even Nintendo, but believe it or not, Magnavox was a major pioneer in home video games. It was in 1972 that Magnavox released the original Odyssey, and that was released, among others, what was considered to be the first generation of video game consoles. Oh yeah, fun fact for you, by the way, in case you didn't realize it, Atari 2600 video computer system, whatever you want to call it, is actually not a first-generation console. It is a second-generation console. But going back to uh, Magnavox, by the time that uh, they put out the Odyssey 2 back in 78... Magnavox was a subsidiary of North American Philips. The Odyssey 2 system had two joystick controllers and by the way, like the Atari 2600 controllers, they were right-handed in that the fire button was on the left, the joystick was on the right. The controllers were hardwired into the console and the console had a QWERTY-style alphanumeric keyboard. It was a new it was one of those membrane keyboards kind of like what the Atari 400 had and the later generation of Speak and Spell. So uh, I can't imagine typing on that was ne- was uh, an easy thing. <laughs> the Odyssey 2 was pretty successful. It sold 2 million units before it was discontinued on March 20th, 1984.
0: your days. the, and you'll score the and why, is there something familiar with this video? KC Munchkin, why do you think it's back KC
1: Munchkin, Let's talk about Casey Munchkin itself. Casey Munchkin was part of the quote-unquote Challenger series games for the Odyssey 2. So what exactly is Challenger series? Well, Odyssey 2 games were usually programmed on 2-kilobyte ROMs. For those of you who don't know exactly what that means, you know how in physical measurement we typically use inches or centimeters? Well, computers use bytes, B-Y-T-E. Back then, 1,024 bytes made up a kilobyte. Nowadays, it's 1,000 bytes is considered a kilobyte. I'm not going to get into that mess right now. <laughs> so since games were on two kilobyte ROMs, ROM sta- standing for read-only memory, meaning that... Uh, Once there's stuff in that memory, it cannot come out. It can only... It's basically set in stone. So anyway, the boards that contained the game code were capable of storing 2,048 bytes of memory. Now, just to put that in perspective, one character equals one byte, like the letter A, the number 2, whatever, that's one byte right there, which means that the entire code of a standard Odyssey 2 game had to be contained in the equivalent size of about 14 tweets. Think about that for a moment. So that kind of gives you an idea of uh, some of the programming limitations they had to deal with. Challenger series games, however, were actually on 4 kilobyte ROMs, so the cartridges could handle twice the memory and therefore capable of higher quality games. So instead of 2,048 bytes, it was now 4,096 bytes that those cartridges could handle. Now, as I said earlier, KC Munchkin was a Pac-Man style game. And as with Pac-Man, the game had a maze, a bunch of items that your title character has to eat, And, of course, there were enemies in pursuit of the title character, Casey Munchkin, who, by the way, was punnily named after Kenneth Charles Mencken Jr., a.k.a. Casey Mencken. And he was the head of the Consumer Electronics Division of North American Philips. Now, as for Casey Munchkin and Pac-Man, well, there are notable differences. For one thing, Pac-Man has just one maze— Casey Munchkin has several different mazes to choose from, and there's also an option for random mazes, meaning that you might clear one maze and then the next next maze might be something completely different. There's also a maze editor, so you can even add your own mazes. No way to store them, unfortunately. In the original arcade Pac-Man, your character Pac-Man was being pursued by four monsters while he tried to clear the maze of 240 dots and four energizers but KC Munchkin has to clear 8 so-called munchies and 4 flashing munchies unlike with Pac-Man however the 12 munchies constantly move around the maze if a munchie collides with another munchie the colliding munchies kind of ricochet off each other and they change direction if Munchkin eats a flashing munchie, no munchie if Munchkin eats a flashing munchie he can turn the tables on the 3 yes 3 not 4 quote-unquote munchers that kind of sort of pursue him and he can eat them the munchers upon being eaten turn to ghosts and return to their hideout so they can regenerate sound familiar (laughs) another difference between pac-man and casey munchkin is the structure of the box where the enemies regenerate you probably know that in pac-man well at least the arcade version not necessarily say the 2600 version uh there was a hideout in the middle of the screen, wide enough so that you could view three monsters inside it. You'll probably remember that the door to the hideout is on the top, and, uh, and you can't go in. As for where the munchers go to regenerate, the regeneration chamber, for lack of a better term, is just a square with an opening. Oh, and get this, the regeneration chamber constantly rotates, which means that the opening constantly changes places. And you actually have to go into that opening sometimes in order to get to a different part of the maze, depending on which maze you happen to be playing at the time. And that kind of adds an interesting challenge, because if you don't time yourself right, there might be a muncher waiting for you at the opening when the chamber rotates while you're inside it. In Pac-Man, when you move your character in one direction, Pac-Man's going to continue to move in that direction until either you change the direction, or he hits a wall, or he encounters a monster, whatever. However, Casey Munchkin is only going to take a few steps at a time and then stop, unless you continue to hold the joystick in the direction you want him to go. Somebody on Atari Age pointed out that Casey Munchkin, the way the movement is, the maze is kind of sort of on a grid, and what happens is, Uh, Munchkin basically moves one grid space at a time. So think about it that way. Now, Pac-Man and Casey Munchkin also differ in how many lives you get. Now, most people realize that the standard Pac-Man setting is that you get three lives plus an extra life at 10,000 points, although you can adjust the settings so that Pac-Man gets as many as five lives or as few as one life, depending on how generous the owner of the arcade was. And you can also adjust how many points Pac-Man would need to get an extra life, be it 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, or perhaps not even allow an extra life. Casey Munchkin, however, gets one life and one life only. No extra life, no settings for more than one life, no nothing. Just that one life. And when you hear these comparisons, you can't help but think McDonald's versus McDonald's, right? But uh, that. Pretty much covers the key differences between Pac Man and Casey Munchkin. So let's move on to some history of the <laughs> inevitable legal issues that uh, happened thanks to Casey Munchkin.
0: It
1: If you're a long-time gamer, then you're probably familiar with at least a little bit of the history of Casey Munchkin and the controversy that it stirred up among another video game company's lawyers. Now, the story I'm going to tell you might have a few details missing, or they might not be a million percent accurate. Uh, But the thing is, the events that happened, uh, everything that ensued is just so confusing with all the back and forth that was going on uh, among all the key players. It's really hard to keep track of. So I apologize if this isn't totally gospel truth, but I tried my hardest. What happened was in July of 1980... Programmer and former Intel employee Ed Averett demonstrated an early version of Casey Munchkin to Mike Staup. I'm guessing it's pronounced S-T-A-U-P. He was the vice president in charge of games at Magnavox. And uh, Mike Staup considered the possibility of getting a home game license to Pac-Man. Now, the game they were working on didn't yet have the title of Casey Munchkin, I'll talk about that a little later, but at this time, the characters on the screen bore a dangerously close resemblance to Pac-Man and the monster characters from the original Pac-Man games. I have an entry about Casey Munchkin in my Pac Maniacs blog that has, uh, and it has a picture of what the game looked like at this point. Uh, I will put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, you'll see exactly uh, how dangerous it could have been had Casey Munchkin been released as it was. But in the meantime, anywho, uh, Phillips learned that the rights to Pac Man actually weren't available. But they figured, well, you know what, the gameplay is different enough that we here at Philips and Magnavox, uh, we should be able to stay out of legal trouble. But just to be safe, Ed Averett was asked to uh, make some changes to make sure that he can further distance the game from the resemblance to Pac-Man. For one thing, he changed the color of the main character from yellow to blue. In the following month, this would be August, North American Phillips uh, went ahead and approved a revised version of the game and they began production. The trademarked name of K.C. Munchkin was first used on October 31st, 1981. At least that's according to the game's trademark record. And that just might be when the game was actually released. K.C. Munchkin was a hit. And it actually generated some sales of the Odyssey too, just because there were people who bought it just so they could play some sort of Pac-Man style game. Meanwhile, in the Chicago area, there was a chain of stores called Minnesota Fats. If it's not obvious by the name, um, Minnesota Fats was a store that specialized in pool tables and such uh, supplies and accessories and stuff. And eventually what they did was they branched out into uh, kind of general home entertainment, especially electronics. It kind of eventually evolved into a a video store and it was called Video King. But anyway, November 13th, 1981, Minnesota Fats ran a couple of advertisements in the Chicago Tribune and one of them advertised Casey Munchkin and described it as a quote unquote Pac-Man type game. And I will have a picture of that in the show notes, by the way, of the actual article that ran. And that same day, a woman named Linda Pierce called a Weebolts store. Uh, Those of you who don't know what Weebolts was, uh, as it were, uh, Weebolts was a major department store chain based out of uh, here in Chicago, actually. Um, Sadly, it went out of business in the late 80s. But anyway, uh, Linda Pierce called Weebolts and asked if they carried Casey Munchkin. Now, a store rep she was talking to identified himself as Mr. Sarno, and Mr. Sarno told her that the game is just like Pac-Man, but uh, alas, they did not have any in stock. Woohoo. hoo Now, who's this Linda Pearson? Why am I mentioning her? Well, because she worked for Atari's legal team. Ho-ho! <laughs> this is where things start to get interesting. Two days later, a guy named Thomas Gallo, who was an investigator for Atari's legal team, went over to a Minnesota fat store in Oaklawn, Illinois, which is uh, just south of Chicago on the border of the city. There were three copies of KC Munchkin in stock, so he bought one of them. And the checkout lady told him that the game is, and I quote, just like Pac-Man. And that's why, no doubt in hopes to, say, stop Magnavox before the big Christmas rush, uh, November 18th, 1981, Atari Inc. and Midway Manufacturing Company, who was, uh, as you may or may not know, they were Namco's North American distributor at the time, or at least they were the North American Pac-Man distributor, those two companies filed a lawsuit against North American Phillips in the United States District Court, again here in Chicago, Citing the Illinois Uniform Deceptive Trade Practices Act, the lawsuit alleged that Casey Munchkin infringed on the Pac-Man copyright, and also that North American Phillips was engaging in deceptive trade practices by comparing the two games. Now remember how those store reps consistently said that Casey Munchkin was just like Pac-Man, and the uh, Minnesota Fats advertisement said that the game was a Pac-Man-style game. So keep that in mind. And um, so what happened was Atari tried to get an injunction against any further production of Casey Munchkin. Now, what's interesting is that if this is all true, then it kind of exposes a little bit of hypocrisy on behalf of Phillips, because on uh, October 27th, we're talking uh, you know, just a few weeks earlier. Phillips sent out a memo to the sales force, and they said that they don't want—and I quote—others to misapply our game names and trademarks to their games. Likewise, we should not use other people's trademarks or game names to refer to our own games. <laughs> and so that's what the memo said. So huh, just like Pac-Man, indeed. Interestingly, there was another memo that went out a month later, November 27th, nine days after the lawsuit was filed, and it restated the same directive. So, flash forward to the lawsuit. Ed Averett testified that he and Phillips actually made every attempt to not copy Pac-Man. Averett also said that he had made a game called Take the Money and Run, which also had an exclamation point, by the way. (laughs) And in the game Take the Money and Run... You control a character who's moving through a maze filled with robots that were trying to capture you. And your goal was to collect the money. And at certain times, you could actually turn the tables on the robots. And um, Ed Everett claimed that he started working on Take the Money and Run before Pac-Man was ever thought of. And it had gone through multiple revisions and tweaks before finally being released as Casey Munchkin. Now, next in our chronology, I'm going to take you over to December 4th. Take the Money and Run was actually released in 1980, um, a year before Casey Munchkin. So is it possible that the game was tweaked and reissued under a different title? Yeah, sure. Sure, it is. But uh, both games do look very similar. Uh, The maze layouts aren't that different. Uh, There's just some color changes, and the characters are different, really. And uh, you can actually go on YouTube and see some gameplay of Take the Money and Run, and you can do the comparison yourself and see what I mean. Now, I'm going to take you a little bit forward uh, to December 4th, 1981. After taking into consideration uh, probably the same differences between Casey Munchkin and Pac-Man that I mentioned earlier in this episode, Judge George N. Leighton, I think it's pronounced, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, I Uh, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, Uh, Leighton maybe, Leighton, I don't know. But uh, the judge ruled in favor of North American Phillips. He said that Atari had not given sufficient evidence that Casey Munchkin was actually infringing on Atari's rights. And he also said that, uh, you know what, most people probably would not confuse the two games. So Atari's request for an injunction was denied. Atari appealed, however, and on January 19th, 1982, Atari once again presented its case, this time to Circuit Judges Wood and Eschbach and District Judge Myron L. Gordon. On March 2nd, just one day after a trademark application was filed for Casey Munchkin, Atari won the appeal on the basis that the character of Casey Munchkin was too similar to Pac-Man, especially the way the two characters would open and close their mouths, and the way that the munchers in Casey Munchkin regenerated after being eaten. Uh, They thought that that was too close to how the monsters behave in Pac-Man. Oh, and remember the aforementioned people who said that Casey Munchkin was quote-unquote just like Pac-Man? Well, the reason we know the details behind that is that Atari presented that as evidence as well as some of the print advertisements, such as the one I talked about in the Tribune, that made the same claim. So as a result, Casey Munchkin was pulled off the store shelves. Phillips requested an appeal, but on October 4th, 1982, the day after my eighth birthday, uh, the request was denied by the United States Supreme Court. At some point, and I've not been able to ascertain whether it was before or after the appeal was denied, I told you this whole debacle is really confusing, but um, at some point Phillips posted a million dollar bond that would actually allow them to continue to sell off the remaining copies of KC Munchkin that were already produced. So you might be wondering why the key player on the plaintiff's side was Atari and not Midway. In 1979, Namco gave Atari the rights to produce home video game cartridge versions of Namco's arcade games. And as such, Atari would be given the license, or at least the right of first refusal, to produce a home game cartridge version of Pac Man, which was released in 1980, of course. Now, remember, it was 1981 when Casey Munchkin was actually released, but remember that Atari didn't release Pac Man for its home consoles until 1982, but Atari nonetheless felt that Magnavox had infringed on its rights by releasing Casey Munchkin on a cartridge for a home console. And think about this, there were other Pac-Man clones. Uh, There was Munchman on the TI-99-4A, there was Clean Sweep on the Vectrex. Atari didn't go after Texas Instruments for Munchman or GCE for Clean Sweep. Why didn't they go after them? Well, quite simply because Atari wanted to be the first to release a cartridge version of Pac-Man, but essentially Phillips had beaten them to the punch with Casey Munchkin. And that might be a reason Atari was quick to sue Magnavox, but I'd like to um, offer another possible reason. Revenge. <laughs> Atari had previously been sued by Magnavox over the November 1972 arcade game Pong. Magnavox claimed that Pong infringed on a game on the original Odyssey home console system, Um, which one specifically I wasn't able to ascertain, but I am assuming that it was the game Table Tennis, which came out in September of 1972. Uh, I'm not going to go into the details of that lawsuit. Uh, Maybe if there's ever a 7800 homebrew version of Atari's Pong or the Odyssey Table Tennis, I'll do that. But again, I'm thinking that um, revenge for that original lawsuit is what possibly prompted Atari to sue Magnavox. Now, in the aftermath of all this fighting going on, Phillips released another KC game for the Odyssey 2, and it was called KC's Crazy Chase, exclamation point. Oh, and by the way, crazy was spelled K-R-A-Z-Y, so you see what happened there. There's KC's Crazy Chase, K-Crazy C-Chase, there's another KC. But uh, in short, KC's Crazy Chase was kind of a combination of Pac-Man, maybe Nibbler, maybe Centipede, and the title of the game was kind of a sly reference to all the legal back and forth that went on between you know, North American Philips and Atari um, i've played it a few times it's a fun game it really is definitely worth trying if you have an odyssey 2 or if you have uh, uh, a way to emulate odyssey 2
0: No tears, game is coming
1: out again in All right, so what I want to do now is talk about how Casey Munchkin came about on the Atari 7800. Uh, uh, by the way, there's a lot of emergency activity going on in the neighborhood, so there might be some ambulance sirens coming uh, uh Making guest appearances, I apologize about that. Uh, my apartment isn't all that soundproof, but um, anyway, before I actually talk about the seventy-eight hundred version of Casey Munchkin, I feel that I should talk briefly about another version that came out not too long before the seventy-eight hundred version. In early two thousand fourteen, an enterprising software developer on Atari Age, going by the name Mister SQL. Uh, or if you use Microsoft products, Mr. Sequel, uh, he released an Atari 2600 version of Casey Munchkin and called it Casey Monster Maze. Now this is interesting because it was actually distributed on a cassette tape and it was meant to be played through a Starpath or Arcadia supercharger. Mark Oberheuser, whom I've mentioned in episode one, he made a custom box for Casey Monster Maze and um, the box came with a ROM that you could use on a harmony cart and a wave file that you could uh, load onto your iPod or other digital music player so that you wouldn't have to futz with a cassette player if you didn't want to. There was even a level editor, but the catch was the level editor only ran in Windows, so you had to make your custom levels on a Windows PC and then transfer those custom levels, which would actually be saved as standalone games. You would transfer those to be played on your 2600. The original price of the game was $20, but the developer said the price would eventually be going up to $60, and he cited an astonishing $130,000 in production costs. And Mr. SQL announced there'd be a design contest relating to a sequel, but as far as I can tell, that sequel never happened. But anyway, let's talk about the 7800 version. Now, on January 1st, 2014, a user on Atariage named Jainz, J-A-Y-N-Z, he posted about he, who is an experienced game programmer, never actually programmed on any Atari machines, hadn't worked with assembly language before, and he wanted to learn how to program an Atari 7800, and he decided KC Munchkin would be his project. Now, why KC Munchkin? Well, because... As he put it, the game was, uh, was, and I quote, an unusual but very well done Pac-Man clone. <laughs> Obviously, even Atari must have agreed with that if they sued uh, Magnavox over it. <laughs> but um, it was an unusual but very well done Pac-Man clone that made a lot of people interested in the Odyssey 2, and indeed was really the only truly successful seller for the Odyssey 2 system. And also... Janes figured it would be a pretty simple Pac-Man clone with only a few extra twists, except for the maze editor, of course. And since Janes had programmed Pac-Man clones before, usually in C or Pascal, it would be a good title for him to learn assembly language with. And by the way, those of you who don't know what programming is like, trust me, assembly is nothing like C and Pascal, but uh, Janes figured this would be a great project for him to try out on the 70 on the Atari 7800. Meanwhile, Another Atari Age user, who went by the name Pac-Man Red, decided, hey, you know what? I can help out. Here are two different versions of the KC Munchkin sprites you can use. Here's one set that's identical to the sprite set on the the Odyssey 2 version, and here's another set that consists of 12 color sprites, taking advantage of the Atari 7800's much, much more advanced graphics capabilities. Janes was starting to consider making the game uh, kind of a two-in-one that would also include Casey's Crazy Chase. January 6, 2014, Janes started work on Casey Munchkin, and he used the Pac-Man source code that Bob D. Crescenzo released as kind of a guide. March 17th, after some off-and-on work on development, Janes unfortunately announced that due to various other high priorities... um, Remember what Phil the No Swear Gamer always says, games are fun, but always keep first things first. So that's what exactly what Janes did. He kept first things first, and he needed to suspend development on Casey Munchkin, and he asked if there was anybody willing to take over as the project lead. So Bob DiCrescenzo, aka Pac-Man Plus, he immediately stepped forward and, and continued the development with some assistance from Janes. On March 24th, the first playable demo was posted on Atariage and received a lot of constructive input from users. A released version of the demo was posted the next day, this time with the ability to enter your name in the high score table. There was another version that came out on March 29th, and this time it had sound. The previous versions did not. And uh, Bob mentioned that the Odyssey 2 was actually able to produce some notes that the Atari 7800's TIA chip couldn't produce. So he had to use some kind of distortion effects to get sounds that were comparable to those that the TIA couldn't actually render. Now, at this point, the code was taking up 32K. And remember, the Odyssey 2 version of Casey Munchkin was only 4K. So at this point, it's looking like Casey's Crazy Chase, if it were made at all, would have to be on a separate cartridge. The following day, Bob posted a new version of Casey Munchkin, and at this time it had a title screen and a menu. On April 4th, 2014, there was an updated demo released with the first draft of the Maze editor, with the release candidate coming out the following day, April 5th. at this point, the game was trimmed down to 16K from the previous 32. Bob DeCrescenzo hinted at a release when he posted a PDF version of the manual on April 26th. So, flash forward eight months, December 14th, Albert on Atariage announced that he made 50 copies of the Casey Munchkin cartridge available on the Atariage store. And as of spring 2015, you can get the Atari 7800 KC Munchkin with a professional quality box designed by Mark Oberhäuser. In terms of how to play KC Munchkin, of course, if you know how to play Pac-Man, you can probably easily figure out the gameplay of KC Munchkin. And what happens is when you start the game up, you have some options. You have four different mazes from which to choose, or you can choose the random option, which means that uh, you're going to get a random maze every time you clear it. If you feel up to the challenge, you can also opt for an invisible maze. I have not yet been that brave, by the way. Unfortunately for Bill at the Atari Bytes podcast, uh, uh, link in the show notes, by the way, The manual does not tell you how to hold the joystick, but at least it does tell you that you need a joystick controller plugged into the left port to play the game. You use the joystick to move Munchkin around the maze. Oh, speaking of which, remember what I said earlier about how Munchkin moves. If you want Munchkin to continue moving, you have to continue to hold the joystick in the direction you want him to move. The way Munchkin moves is unusual for a maze game. He basically follows a grid pattern. He doesn't stop moving until he crosses over into the next square of the grid, uh, one square being approximately big enough to fit the Munchkin character. What this means is that Munchkin cannot turn around until he reaches the next square in the grid, so be careful how you move. Your job is to clear the maze of um, munchies, and you couldn't see that, I don't think, but I did finger quotes when I said that. The munchies are the Casey Munchkin analog to the dots in the Pac-Man games, and you have to avoid three munchers, which in Pac-Man, they're called monsters. If you eat a flashing munchie, the munchers turn purple, and while the munchers are purple, Munchkin can munch them. This is confusing me. (laughs) And if you munch a muncher, then that muncher turns into a ghost and returns to its pen in the middle of the maze. Uh, the pen is a rotating box in the center of the screen, and uh, there appears to be no rhyme or reason as to how the munchies and munchers move around the maze. It seems to be uh, kind of randomish. Uh, munchers don't necessarily pursue Munchkin, and when you eat a flashing munchie, the munchers don't change; di- they, they don't change direction, unlike with, say, the monsters in Pac-Man. The more munchies you eat, the faster the remaining munchies move. And when you get to that last munchie in the maze, the final munchie moves as fast as Munchkin himself. So chasing it down is going to be useless. Your best bet is to just try to intercept it. And as you clear the levels, the action speeds up. As for scoring, you get one point for each white munchie you eat, um, three points for each flashing munchie, and 5, 10, and 20 points respectively for eating 1, 2, and 3 munchers after eating a flashing munchie. If you have the highest score, you get to enter your name, up to 6 characters. The keyboard on the Odyssey 2 made name entry easy, but because the Atari 7800 has no keyboard, you actually have to use the joystick and move it up and down to cycle through the alphabet so you can enter your name. Uh, You move left and right to move the cursor uh, left and right. If you move the joystick to the right while the cursor is in the rightmost position of the name, your name is then entered into the table. Now, the strange thing is there's actually no way to save your score, or even your maze creations for that matter, as the game does not support Atari Vox or other high score devices, which is pretty unfortunate, but there's also, when you think about it, it's not really tragic because guess what? On the Odyssey 2, there's no real way to save your Casey Munchkin stuff on the Odyssey 2. Oh, and speaking of having the highest score, I like to acknowledge uh, high score records. Um, according to Twin Galaxies, Robert Mruzek has the world record for the original Odyssey 2 version, Default Maze, with an astonishing score of 2,924, um, specifically for NTSC, uh, that is North American versions of Casey Munchkin. That was verified June 11th, 2004. As for the PAL version, which would be in most parts of Europe, using the same setup, the default maze, Andrew Peter Mee is recorded as having the world record. And as of the time of this recording, he actually has the only score submitted for that. 162 points verified June 3rd, 2015. Yeah, this is a low scoring game in which you're only given one life. Keep that in mind. That's why these scores seem pretty low. Now regarding the Atari 7800 version, Oyama Family on Atari Age has the highest score that I've seen so far. Again, default settings, Oyama Family scored 1419 posted on April 1st, 2016, achieved while participating in the Atari Age High Score Club. Now, I'm nowhere near that good. My most recent score was 473. That's my highest score actually. Um as for the 7800 version of Casey Munchkin, how does it compare to the Odyssey 2 version? Well, I can't really give a fair answer because I've never played Casey Munchkin on an actually, on an actual Odyssey 2. I've played it in emulation and I've watched YouTube videos, and for what I can tell, at least, the Atari 7800 version is spot on. There's at least one reviewer on Atari Age though, that really wasn't happy with it. Says that the controls are, and I quote, embarrassingly laggy. Uh, Unless I'm misunderstanding what that reviewer says, I kind of have to disagree because, at least in my experience, the response on the controls is perfect. I I haven't seen any issues. I've played the game with multiple controllers. Um, I've played uh, with the Atari 2600CX40 controller. I've played it with... uh, with the Ed Laden Supreme 78, I've played it with the Painline controllers, and I didn't find any problem with any of them, so I'm not really sure exactly what was laggy about it, according to the reviewer. It could theoretically vary from console to console, because one Atari 7800 might not work the same way as another. 7800 is notorious for that kind of stuff, remember. But whatever the case, I really do enjoy the 7800 version of Casey Munchkin. Uh, Jane's and Bob, they did a really good job on that one they hit it out of the park as far as i'm concerned they gave us a really fun challenging game for the 7800 so i had asked for feedback about casey munchkin specifically and of course and since not everybody has the homebrew i do welcome people's thoughts on the original partly because they're so similar and also i want to get some context from uh from people who have actually played the actual original. So we can see kind of get a feel for kind of how things were on the Odyssey two versus how things are on the 7,800, perhaps now, earlier in the episode when I was catching up on feedback, I started with Atari.io and then went to Facebook. Well, I'm going to do the exact opposite right now. I'm going to start with Facebook and uh, Philip the Hoovian says, and I quote, I haven't played the 7,800 version, but it looks good. I've played the original Odyssey 2 version, though. It's a pretty good Pac-Man clone, but I am terrible at it. I think that's true for all of us, actually. (laughs) Anyway, Philip says, The moving pellets add something new, but just get annoying. The main attraction I find is the changing mazes. I couldn't get the programmable mazes to work properly for me. I find it hard to control, but that's mainly because the Odyssey 2 was the first console I played with a joystick. For most of my gaming life, I have been using D-pads. Sorry, it's not especially relevant. Uh, Philip, that's actually very relevant, I think. Thank you for your thoughts on that. And it's interesting that you say um, you found it hard to control and it was the first game you played with a joystick. What's unusual about the Odyssey joystick is it's not it's hard to explain about the the odyssey the odyssey 2 joystick because it's not a joystick that most of us who have used joysticks are comfortable using i think it's not like the 5200 joystick i mean the odyssey 2 stick does center itself but it's kind of an i it's hard to describe it's i guess it's very springy for one thing very springy And it it has a lot of give to it. It's got a lot of give. There's not much resistance to it, if I remember correctly. But it's it's I can totally see it being hard to control. I mean, if you're used to Pac-Man and you play Casey Munchkin on the seventy-eight hundred with, say, an Atari CX forty or even CX seventy-eight joystick, or even an Aladdin controller, perhaps it's something you're comfortable with, but. The movement of Casey Munchkin, because it does that uh, graph style moving where it suddenly stops, that's something that you're not really used to. And if you are used to Pac-Man and then suddenly have to switch to that style of movement on Casey Munchkin and have to get used to another joystick controller that's different from just about anything else you've ever used, then man, yeah, I can totally see where you're going. Good thoughts on that, Philip. Um, and yeah, it, it is is—it is a good clone in that it's not Pac-Man, but it's a game that's like Pac-Man. And I personally think it does have a lot of interesting twists. So, hey, thanks so much for your feedback there, Philip. And let's see what the folks on Atari.io have to say about KC Munchkin. Rick R. says, uh, huh, memories of Odyssey 2 KC Munchkin. This game was totally fantastic back when it came out and still great today. It's a nice twist on Pac-Man with the moving dots. Things can get pretty intense when the dots move so fast you can't just chase them down. On the downside, I never understood why Odyssey 2 games only gave you one life. The game would have benefited by three lives and some bonuses. One other thing is how excellent this game is in comparison to 2600 Pac-Man. No contest. Odyssey 2 wins for the first time with a complete knockout of Atari. 7800 version, I had a chance to play it at a game show. It's good, but somehow misses the simple charm of the Odyssey 2 version. I couldn't put my finger on why. It just didn't feel right. The graphics are updated, which is fine. I think it was mostly the controls, but maybe the joystick I was using wasn't 100% working. Love to know what others think. Well, thanks, Rick R. You're going to find out what others think in just a moment. Well, I just learned something new. Uh, your statement, Rick, about uh, you never understood why Odyssey 2 games only give you one life. That's news to me. I, I've i never played a lot of Odyssey. In fact, the only Odyssey 2 games I've ever played were Casey Munchkin and Casey's Crazy Chase. So I wasn't aware that one life was the norm. <laughs> so that that's kind of odd. Uh, it could be both a blessing and a curse, a curse in that you really want, like you said, you want more lives, you want a bonus maybe, but... It's a blessing in that it's really challenging to do something in just one life. It really is. So you can look at it that way. And, of course, the 2600 Pac-Man has to come up. Um, That I was absolutely expecting. I I was hoping somebody would, would mention that. But... Yeah, the 2600 Pac-Man, I got to admit, I, I might have mentioned this before, but I actually loved it. And I saw when it came out, I was like, this looks nothing like the arcade game at all, but I still love it. And I, it, it never really bothered me that much. It really didn't. So uh, I can't say which one I like better. Uh, uh, Casey Munchkin or the Atari 2600 Pac-Man. I don't know. It's hard to say. Hard to say. You know what? Here's Here's my answer. Here's my answer. Let's say that I come in here into my little third bedroom with the uh, video game setup that I have here. Um, I posted a picture of my collection, on, uh, or part of my collection, at least on the uh, Atari.io forums, but if I were to walk into what I call the lounge, and I'm feeling really lazy, I don't feel like digging out any games, but I see the 2600 Pac-Man and the 7800 Casey Munchkin. I don't have an Odyssey 2, remember. I'm probably going to reach for Casey Munchkin, to be honest with you. But uh, Rick R., you say you want to know what others think. Well, thank you for sharing what you think, and let's hear what others, such as Dr. Octagon, think. Dr. Octagon says, I really like Casey Munchkin, and I think it's the best of the Pac-Man clones, if you can call it that. I agree with what Rick R. says in that it's a nice twist on Pac-Man because there's enough different about it to make it a different game, even though it's still a maze game with a ball gobbling dots. Two memories stand out to me about KC Munchkin. I remember thinking KC Munchkin was the reason I wanted to get an Odyssey. It's the only reason I can remember. Guess that qualifies as a killer app. And two, I remember playing Casey Munchkin at JCPenney's, thinking the next version of Pac-Man would have to use some of these ideas of a changing maze, pellets that open and close things, and so on. I've never played the 7800 version of Casey Munchkin, but Pac-Man Plus does awesome work with everything. I can't think of anything he's made that's been a disappointment. Casey Munchkin is on my list to pick up. It looks like a faithful port with some nice improvements and looks better than the Odyssey version in all the right ways. My gripe isn't with the game at all. It's that I wish more were being done with 7800 that could best the NES rather than the Odyssey. NES quality games are needed on the 7800, but that's a different topic altogether. Hey, uh, Dr. Octagon, thank you so much for that. Uh, your first point you're talking about Casey Munchkin being the only reason I wanted to get, but you wanted to get an odyssey. I totally see that. I totally see that. I remember when it came out, there was a contest with Kellogg's frosted flakes where if you got the little thing that says you won, you'd win an Odyssey 2. And I practically nagged my parents. Get me Frosted Flakes. Get me Frosted Flakes. I usually ate Corn Flakes and Cheerios. I need Frosted Flakes. Um, needless to say, I did not win the Odyssey 2. <laughs> oh, man, JCPenney. Uh, uh, mention of that. It, I'm sorry, but just mentioning Penny to me kind of angers me because I, I – for various reasons, there are some things that I have to buy once in a while. You can only get a JCPenney, penny. And I live in Chicago. There are no JC pennies in Chicago. You have to go in the suburbs to go there. <laughs> but, um, anyway, yeah, that's interesting. You had to bring up the uh, 7,800 versus NES thing. I never thought of that. And, Yeah, the basically it was originally gonna. I I believe the concept was gonna be that the seventy eight hundred was going to be kind of in competition with the NES. And honestly, I don't know how that would have panned out if the uh, Atari seventy eight hundred, if the release of the seventy eight hundred had gone as originally planned. I'm gonna be honest; I can't see the seventy eight hundred winning out, mainly because of the sound issues that uh, everybody talks about, and the NES seemed to be like it was a little bit more on par of what was going on in gaming, like a little closer to arcade quality graphics, perhaps. But, um, uh, I don't know. I still prefer the 7,800 much more, uh, as for NES quality games. Yeah. Bentley bears crystal quest. I believe might be actually one solution to what you're talking about there. And that's supposed to be coming out soon. I so can't wait. I know you can get the ROM for that on uh, on Atari age in the discussion thread, But, um, anyway, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Octagon, and, uh, the professor from whom we heard earlier, we're going to hear again, uh, regarding the 7800 version. I think Bob DiCrescenzo has tapped into something great with porting games to the 7800 in the same way Opcode Games has tapped into something with porting games to the ColecoVision via the Super Game Module. I think Bob DiCrescenzo sees the 7800 the way it was designed, not as something to do with what the NES does with tiled graphics, but as the home console that could truly bring arcade games home in amazing ways. So many of his ports have been of arcade games or games from previous systems, and he makes the most out of the 7800 to deliver great games. I think all of his ports have hit the nail on the head, and Casey Munchkin is no different. Fantastic job. I think it's very cool that Bob DiCrescenzo was able to keep the Odyssey font at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Thank you for bringing that up, uh, the professor. Yeah, yeah, the font that uh, he, he kind of keeps that font face uh, from the Odyssey uh, as the the font at the at the bottom of the screen. Uh, and the professor professor goes on to say, and I love the bit of detail he added to the sprites, such as the whites of their eyes. Very well done. And yeah, I agree. I talked about how he used enhanced sprites. And he did them, I think, very tastefully, very faithfully, very advanced, but it's still within the same spirit of what the Odyssey Two version looks like. And yeah, oh, you had to mention opcode games. Ugh, I've never had a ColecoVision, vision, but when I see what they're doing, it almost makes me want to get one, but i I, I don't I really just don't want to have another console. <laughs> oh man. But, um, yeah, that's some interesting uh, insights about uh, Bob DiCrescenzo there and how he progressed. I, tiled graphics, I mean, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I really don't know that much about the NES in terms of how things are how things are done on that. So um, I'm going to take your word for that, Professor, but thanks so much. Atari Adventure Square says, Only briefly played Casey Munchkin on a rented Odyssey 2. I remember the controller action was weird. Do these sticks have centering mechanisms or were they loose? And although I forgot about it, what Rick said about single life play would account for my short time playing it. Had rented the console and an assortment of games for the week. None of the games are the computer style console hybrid impressed as an essential to have at that price. I can see that. Uh, But as I previously mentioned a while back, this is one console that was kind of legendary for me in its look and possible use. Keyboard and gaming action? Wow. An overall sleek 70s sci-fi stylishness. Casey Munchkin was controversial for its lawsuit articles and subsequent rarity value, but this is ultimately the only extant memory I have from this Casey moment in time, besides the sequel. But I give props to the little guy for his staying power and charm. Yep. Thank you so much, Atari Adventure Square, for that. Uh, And, yeah, Atari Adventure Square brought up the thing I was talking about before about the joysticks. Yeah, even he couldn't put his finger on what was going on with those joysticks. Yeah, they were definitely centering joysticks for sure. Uh, I think it's just the way they moved was just kind of bizarre. Yeah, rent it. Do they still all right? I'm so out of things now. Do they still can you still rent consoles? Like can you go to say GameStop and rent an Xbox or, or, or a PS4 or something? I, I don't know if that's still a thing, to be honest with you. Yeah, it shows you how up to date I am. But yeah, I never thought yeah, that, that that's a good point. The, the Odyssey 2, it was kind of silvery. It had the membrane keyboard on it. So yeah, it definitely did have that 70s. Space age look to it in no a way. Oh, yeah, and Rick R also confirmed, yeah, the joysticks do center, but they're much looser and have more movement than Atari sticks. They feel like analog sticks, but they aren't. I like them, but they're definitely different. Thanks for that, Rick R. <laughs> and Phil, the no swear gamer, says, Ah, Casey Munchkin. <laughs> I see what you did there, Phil. The Odyssey two was the first system I owned and this was one of my favorite games on the system along with pickaxe Pete. Oh, Odyssey two had pickaxe Pete. That's right. Okay. I remember everybody loved that game. Everybody talked about it, whoever played it. And I thought that was an arcade game or something, but yeah. Oh, thank you for mentioning it. Anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to hear how it turned out in the 7,800, which I hear is a fine system. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Those of you who don't know, um, uh, when uh, No Square Gamer started off, his response with, ah, Casey Munchkin. Uh, that's kind of uh, uh, a habit that Jimmy G and I have on Pie Factory Podcast. When we talk about a game, Like we'll say, "Like ah, asteroids. It's just something that we do, so that's what he did there. And let's see. Uh, Atari LBC says Casey Munchkin was one of two Odyssey 2 games that I spent a lot of time with as a kid, the other being Demon Attack. Oh, my God, they had Demon Attack, too. Well. Wow. Uh, One of my favorite 2600 games- anyway, sorry. My cousin had an Odyssey 2 before I had my Coleco Gemini, and we shared a lot of weekends at his house playing KC. I have KC for the Odyssey 2 and still enjoy playing it even today. In terms of gameplay, I do not share the opinion that KC is better than the 2600 of Pac-Man in every way. KC has a lot of depth, but I find the 2600 Pac-Man to best KC in a few areas. 1. The control in 2600 Pac-Man is smooth like butter, and while KC controls well, if you do not apply continued pressure in the direction you want to go, KC stops. This can cause unintended death and or serious hand cramps. Oh god, never thought of that part, hand cramps, sure especially on the pain line controllers. Anyway, um, admittedly, this is less of an issue with the original Odyssey 2 controllers, but if you have a modded Odyssey 2 or are using 2600 style controllers, extended play is tiring. Huh, it's interesting. Two. While the audio in 2600 Pac-Man is somewhat harsh, I find it helpful to have both audio and visual clues letting me know when the power pellet effect wears off. KC only uses visual clues purple to flashing to signal the end of the effect. 3. The defeated ghosts in Pac-Man immediately find their way to the center after being chomped to respawn. This compares to KC where defeated munchers often continue to roam the screen. While this roaming can create room for a bit of breather for the player, I'd prefer they simply return and respawn. 4. Multiple Lives – Oh, how I wish that you got more than one life in KC. Where KC bests Pac-Man is in variety, graphics, color use, and character design. The stock mazes are excellent, and with the ability to create your own mazes, the possibilities are endless. This enhances KC's replay value tremendously. KC and the Munchies also seem to have a bit more personality than 2600 Pac-Man's flickering ghosts, There's no flicker here, just solid, brightly colored character sprites against a black background. No orange and blue mazes for you, KC! In terms of gameplay, the floating munchies provide an interesting element. Unlike the wafers in Pac-Man, KC's snacks float around the screen. By the time the last munchie is left, it is moving around the whole maze as fast as KC does. Often, you have to intercept it. It's a really cool twist in the Pac-Man formula. Lastly, KC also includes an option to randomly pick the maze at the beginning of each level, or have invisible mazes when moving. These play modes definitely keep you on your toes. 7800 KC! I really like the 7800 version of KC. It retains all aspects of the original, including control, sound, and maze building. It updates the character sprites to give them a more developed cartoonish look, but in a restrained way. For those that prefer the original Odyssey 2 joysticks, they are embedded in the game. And let's see, Atari LBC talks about something that will be talked about uh, in the Easter egg portion. (laughs) Spoiler alert! (laughs) Uh, Finally, given the litigious history between Atari and Magnavox over KC, the novelty of playing this game on an Atari console cannot be overstated. It is just cool. I never thought about that. Awesome point. (laughs) That being said, I think there were some missed opportunities here. First, it would have been great to see KC get the Pac-Man collection treatment uh, with the inclusion of KC's Crazy Chase. I'm not a programmer, and I don't know how much effort that would have taken, but it would have added tremendous value to the cart. Secondly, it would have been nice to get an arcade option in which the stock mazes rotate in a predictable manner, a la Ms. Pac-Man, Thirdly, it would have been nice to have an option for more than one life. Finally, and this isn't a criticism of the game itself, I much prefer the awesome US packaging for nearly all Odyssey 2 games. For whatever reason, they chose to use the European Video Pack box art for inspiration. Overall, Pac-Man Plus has done a fine job bringing KC to the 7800. If you don't have it for the Odyssey 2, or don't have an Odyssey 2 then this is a great way to play. If you already have it, it will probably be a pass. For myself, I bought it for the slight graphical tweaks, the novelty of playing KC on an Atari machine, and to support homebrew development. All right, excellent insight there, Atari LBC. Thank you so much. I'm going to address a few of your points here. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree with you on the audio point there. Um, Yeah, because KC Munchkin doesn't have a lot of audio feedback there, and... And I can especially see, like, let's say that you were stuck playing Casey Munchkin on a black and white TV. I can imagine that the color changes might not be that much help, really. But, yeah, I never thought about that. How here it is, Atari suing Magnavox, Philips North America, whatever, and here we are playing the game on an Atari system, (laughs) But um, as, as you heard me mention earlier, that uh, Magnavox shot first. So, <laughs> oh, man. But, um, but yeah, that, that is a pretty cool thing to think about here. And, of course, just reiterating what I said earlier about uh, Case, I believe I mentioned this earlier. Uh, can you tell that I'm report- recording the podcast over a series of several days and don't remember what I said before? <laughs> but, yeah, th- I do believe there actually was a plan – to try to put Casey's Crazy Chase on there as well, but I think what happened was they literally ran out of room. They realized that they wouldn't have had enough room to do that on the same cartridge. Um, speaking of Pac-Man collection, believe me, that is probably the most popular Atari 7800 homebrew ever. Uh, however, I'm just going to warn you all right now, it's going to take me a while before I get to that because there's just so much to talk about with that that might even be a multi-part episode. Like It might spread out over two or three episodes. But yeah, it's going to take a lot of work because there are so many different variations in that cartridge. Uh, if you have an Atari 7800 and if you don't have it, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but So that's what we had for feedback from Atari.io about Casey Munchkin. Now, as for Atari age, let's see, we have Trevor saying, and I quote, having zero experience playing the original on the Odyssey 2, my initial thought when first seeing the game and learning of its development was it was a cheap Pac-Man clone. Playing the game and getting a feel for it, and its playstyle mechanics, while there is an undeniable similarity with Pac-Man, this is a very good game in its own right with considerable and distinct differences. Off the bat, there are no patterns that can be memorized as an easy way to complete any of the mazes. Casey is more like Ms. Pac Man in this regard, including a variety of maze layouts. Like the aforementioned, there are four different ones. The key though involves understanding that unlike any of the Pac-Man series of games. A player cannot change direction on a whim. KC moves in a grid-like pattern throughout the maze. Asterisk. (laughs) Once a direction has been selected, KC must complete moving into that next grid space before selecting a new direction. And it sounds like there's some excitement going on in Chicago. For those familiar with the arcade classic Cubert in which once a direction is selected to hop to, Cubert must land on that cube in that chosen direction before being able to select a new direction, KC moves with a similar movement rule set. There's no way of changing Cubert's direction mid-air, and there is no way of changing KC's direction when traveling to the next grid space. That gameplay movement mechanics coupled with the typical trying to plan your movement ahead of time while the munchers are coming for you is one of the... Speaking of coming for you, who's coming for me? Is one of the ways it is very similar to, yet very different from, well, Ms. Pac-Man. Unlike the familiar arcade games, KC only has 12 dots, pills, in each maze. Three pills come together at the start of a new maze to form four groups. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I don't think I uh, mentioned that before. Uh, The pills, though... Move throughout the maze. Last pill remaining is extra challenging as it moves at the same speed of KC and cannot simply be followed and eaten, it must be intercepted. There are flashing pills which turn the tables on the munchers in the same way energizers allow Pac-Man to turn the tables on the monsters. Players have the choice of which of the four mazes they wish to play or make at random. There is also a level editor for individuals to design their own mazes. Last but not least, when and if one masters the four mazes, he puts masters in quotes, by the way, (laughs) and I totally understand why, Uh, masters the four mazes of the game, the invisible maze option ramps up the challenge considerably. Casey Munchkin goes above and beyond the Odyssey 2 experience by not only providing gameplay mechanics that are spot on to the original, asterisk, asterisk, (laughs) yeah, and uh, once again, we have a uh, mention of the Easter egg, which we're going to hold off on until the end of the show. Spoiler alert. While it may not be for everyone, especially if one finds oneself insisting to try movement and planning just like is Pac Man or Pac Man. If the game can be seen and appreciated as its own standalone experience, it is a rewarding one and worth the endeavor. Casey Munchkin is a fun and addicting title. Oh, by the way, the first asterisk, and that's when Trevor said, Casey moves in a grid like pattern throughout the maze. He says, and I quote, uh, Defender 2600, another Atari age user, did an excellent job in illustrating the grid of KC Munchkin. And he puts a link to the explanation, and I will put that in the show notes, by the way. And the double asterisk when he's talking about uh, how the 7800 KC Munchkin goes above and beyond the Odyssey 2 experience Um, He says, high praises come from the Odyssey 2 homepage using terms to describe the 7800 port as impressively accurate, faithfully recreates, strikingly accurate. And uh, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, so thank you, Trevor. Uh, and of course, I would like to uh, uh, mention a couple of points. Yeah, it's interesting uh, mentioning the case, the uh, the Ms. Pac-Man comparison. I'm trying to think: was Ms. Pac-Man out at the time Casey Munchkin came out? I don't know. So that be now that would be an interesting twist. If perhaps, as some of you probably know, Ms. Pac-Man was not done by Namco; it was done by. A third party, uh, GCC, it was called Crazy Auto originally, and it was basically a hacked version of Pac-Man. That and Midway bought the rights to it and turned it into Ms. Pac-Man. You gotta wonder. <laughs> part of me is thinking, oh, this would be very interesting if GCC, w- when they were designing Crazy Auto slash Ms. Pac-Man, said, "Oh, and what if they have changing mazes like in Casey Munchkin? We should just add another twist to the whole thing uh, with." Because Atari would eventually, of course, outsource their design, including of the 7800, to GCC. (laughs) Oh man, Casey Munchkin is so much more complex than we thought. By the way, that comparison to Qbert, that is an excellent point. That is a great way to at least orally explain how the movement of Casey Munchkin is. That's a great way to explain it. I never thought of that. I like how you put masters in quotes when you say, when you talked about mastering the mazes, because yeah, it's going to be very, very, very (laughs) hard to master these. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Trevor, for that. Um, Let's see. Jinx says, as a player who sucks at all Pac-Man variants, example can only clear three to five boards on any Pac-Man. Casey Munchkin is brutally hard as it gives you only one life. It is basically Power-up console, seven seconds later, game over, and repeat. (laughs) I think I lasted 20 to 25 seconds once. Wow, that's that's great. Hey, you uh, almost quadrupled your your time (laughs) there. Movements, graphics, gameplay sounds all accurate and great. It comes down to I suck at maze chase games. I was more of a Donkey Kong pole position scramble fighting game person and still am. My favorite maze game is Ms. Pac-Man, as the Energizer Pill sound is pleasant to the ears, unlike Pac-Man, which makes the hair on my neck stand out. But anyways, this has nothing to do with Casey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jinx. Thanks. Thanks so much about that. Yeah. I. You know what? That is something that stuck out to me when I first played Ms. Pac-Man back when I was seven, eight years old, because it overall it did have a more pleasant vibe to it than Pac-Man did. <laughs> But yeah, Casey Munchkin is hard. Yeah, and I, I mentioned—I think I mentioned that I got four hundred and thirty-six in Casey Munchkin. That was just dumb luck. I have not been able to get more than say two hundred and fifty ever since then. So thank thank you for your thoughts on that, Jinx. Save two thousand six hundred says uh, some random thoughts. Had a friend, at B-I-T-D, that had an Odyssey 2. Didn't think much of Casey Munchkin at the time, but gave it another go when I got into collecting years later. There's more to the game than meets the eye, and I'm glad Bob ported it to the 7800, as it really is fun. Solid game for sure. Even though movement is based on a grid, I don't remember the Odyssey 2 version being as sticky as the 7800 version is. Have the impression the Odyssey 2 version is a little more fluid somehow, but the slight difficulty in handling on the 7800 is largely overlooked as you get used to it. The choice to retain the name entry at the bottom of the screen really helps in honoring the spirit of the Odyssey 2. The Odyssey 2 system itself is full of charm and to this day has a small handful of games that are worthy of porting to other systems would really like to see Casey's crazy chase next. Now that was a game I always liked. It would be a nice companion follow-up to his Casey Munchkin port. And there's a uh, a smiley face with hearts for eyes on that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Save2600. We keep seeing mentions of of, uh, Bob being the one to port this. Let's also not forget that Janes uh, actually started the project. And uh, so let's give credit where credit is due. Both of them both of them, as far as I'm concerned, deserve credit for doing this. So thank you. Thank you to both Jane's and Pac-Man plus. Uh, and yeah, the show the name entry in the bottom of the screen. I mean, seriously, when you got Bob DiCrescenzo involved, there will be some almost anal retentive attention to detail and stuff like that. So yeah. And again, again, I just wish that it would be save key compatible though. And yeah, I too would love to see Casey's Crazy Chase. Uh, Bob, if you're listening, here's a little idea for you. But (laughs) uh, thank you, Save 2600. Gambler172 says, and uh, quite simply, for me, a solid game. I'm guessing Gambler172 is using uh, Phil's old ranking system there. S. Ramirez 2008 says, I've never played the Odyssey, and this is one of the few games from Pac-Man Plus that I don't own, so I can't offer any feedback, but will be interested in everyone else's to determine whether or not to buy this game down the road. Thanks for the podcast. Well, thank you, S. Ramirez 2008. Uh, thank you. I do believe you, if you go to the discussion thread, uh, the Casey Munchkin discussion, th- discussion thread, you can still get the ROM. So you can still try it out if you so want. But uh, all I can say is, hey, I have Casey Munchkin. I'm, I didn't have an Odyssey 2. I love Casey Munchkin. I love Bob's Casey Munchkin. So that's, that's what I have to say as someone who never had an Odyssey 2. Uh, let's see. Bido Empire says, I sold my Odyssey 2 collection a few years ago. And KC Munchkin was one of the few games I missed, so I was very happy to pick up the 7800 port. The 7800 port captures the gameplay of the original, and I like the random maze option. Each maze feels very different in KC Munchkin. Because KC moves square to square, can't turn on a pixel like in Pac-Man, but that's just part of the game. It's been a while since I've played the original, but if the seventy-eight hundred version is a little stickier, I don't think it's a big difference. I haven't had any issues playing it. Casey Munchkin doesn't have the polish and flair of other maze games, but it has a unique type of challenge, and I enjoy it. The different mazes add a lot of variety, especially the quadrant maze. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah, that one—that one is—that one is, one's a killer. Anyway, I give it a solid. So yeah, we got another person using the fill system, which is fine. But yeah, that's something I don't think I mentioned. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Bido Empire. The graphics, it's not the. M- it, in terms of, okay, if Casey Munchkin were part of architecture, it would be international style, it would be simply utility architecture. There's not much to it graphically, it's a very, very simple graphics inside it. Uh, in fact, you might even think that the updated 7800 graphics, uh, the graphic sprites might be a little bit jarring compared to the rest of the game. <laughs> but yeah, that is something I think that's true for all the Odyssey 2 games, at least the ones that I've seen uh, videos and pictures of. So thank you for uh, for your feedback there, Bido Empire. Arcade Geek 23 says, I spent some time playing my copy on the 7800 and I enjoyed it. I do own an Odyssey 2 and Casey Munchkin on there as well, but I really enjoyed the 7800 port. I also did purchase the box upgrade for this game and really enjoy the artwork. The upgraded graphics are fun and colorful and add to the enjoyment of the more powerful 7800. As for gameplay, I will say I do suck at it, however. My high score so far is 86. Need to keep practicing to get it into a whopping three digits. I would give this a solid... And recommend any 7800 owner pick up a copy. Thanks uh, for that, Arcade Geek 23. Oh, Arcade Geek 23, and Atari LBC mentioned something that I want to address here, uh, and that's the box art. Now, Atari LBC, uh, I forgot to I forgot to mention this when I was responding to Atari LBC. I apologize for it. Uh, but um, Atari LBC mentions uh, using the European Video Pack box art for inspiration. And I think I know why the design on the 7,800 label and box art was by Mark Oberheuser who lives in Germany. So he might be coming from that perspective. That might be the version that he's used to. So that's my guess. I might be assuming wrong. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I was in your shoes for a long time. Arcade geek 23. Yeah, I couldn't get, I think like I was stuck in the seventies zone for a long time. But I've found that for certain mazes, you can develop kind of like mini patterns to start it off. Uh, it's going to be hard to come up with complete start to finish patterns, but at least you can come up with your own little techniques here and there. And, uh, let's see, moving on to 917 K says, I remember when it came out, it along with pickaxe Pete UFO and quest for the rings, by the way, pickaxe Pete UFO both have exclamation points, just like Casey Munchkin and Casey's crazy chase. So, was that, was that a normal thing for Odyssey? Anyway, uh, anyway, I remember when it came out that it really made people take another look at the Odyssey 2. It did generate a fair amount of buzz at the time. I remember thinking how much better it looked and played compared to the lame version of Pac-Man Atari released for the VCS. It was one of the few games, along with those titles I mentioned earlier, that made me jealous of that one kid in the neighborhood who had an Odyssey 2. It was definitely one of the Odyssey 2's killer apps. I also recall hearing at the time about the lawsuit brought against it by Atari, and I thought that was pretty lame. <laughs> yeah, the kid in the na- yeah, thanks, thanks, nine hundred seventeen k. Oh, the kid in the neighborhood who had na- who had an Odyssey Two. I knew no such kid. I didn't know anybody who had one of these things. And I, 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 still, as far as I know, nobody I currently know has one. I might, I'm, I might be wrong though, but. Uh, Let's see, Toilet Tunes says, it's one less reason to search for an Odyssey 2. It looks good and plays well. Yeah, totally agree there. Uh, Yeah, as big a Pac-Man junkie as I am, I probably would have been looking for an Odyssey 2 just to play uh, Casey Munchkin myself. But uh, yeah, I agree with you there, Toilet Tunes, with... Thank God for the seventy-eight hundred version because now I don't have to get an Odyssey two to satisfy my curiosity. Uh, Arcade Geek twenty-three adds another thing. He says uh, I second the request for some additional ports with Casey's Crazy Chase, and I would add to that Killer Bees, Pickaxe, Pete, and UFO. Oh yeah see lots of mentions of pickaxe pete i gotta try that game i really do i unfortunately i have to do it in emulation oh you know what no underground retrocade which is uh my favorite pay one price play all day arcades uh that i've ever been to by the way um i i think they have an odyssey too they're off to see if they have pickaxe pete but and uh let's see bike guy chicago says i only played kc in my youth and then only sparingly One of my friends was the only kid in the neighborhood to have an Odyssey 2, as I was with the Intellivision, and he lived a few blocks away. From what I remember of the game, I found it a bit simpler than Pac-Man, but also found that it had its own challenges. I especially liked the option of creating your mazes via the Odyssey keyboard. My friend also had Casey's Crazy Chase, which I found to be a bit more challenging and original than Munchkin. I don't have the 7800 homebrew at present, so I can't comment on that. However, if I were to acquire it, it would pretty much be a new experience for me at this point, having only clouded memories of the original. Comparing KC against the 2600 Pac Man, I really don't see that much in common with the 2600 game, other than a character eating dots in a maze. Somehow, I think if the lawsuit, which Atari brought against Magnavox, was heard in the courts today, Atari's claim would be thrown out. And KC would live another day. All right, thank you there, uh, Bike Guy Chicago, um, for that feedback. Yeah, I do wonder what would have happened. I mean, remember, the um, the original lawsuit was thrown out, basically. Uh, the, the judge ruled in Magnavox's favor, and then Atari filed an injunction. I don't know how far that would have gone. I really... And do we really want to get into what today is? You know, with uh, with the company that's currently using Atari's name, uh, would, they, would they be as litigious? I don't know. I I, I don't know. Uh, hashtag not my Atari, of course, some of you say, including myself personally. <laughs> but, uh, hmm, let's see. I happen to know where Byte Guy Chicago lives. I might have to expose him to a uh, 7800 homebrew version of uh, Casey Munchkin. But uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, Brad Higg 1. Says Casey Munchkin is awesome, a lot different than Pac-Man. Now, all we need is Casey's Crazy Chase to be ported to the 7800. Uh, there goes another one. Another, there's demand for Casey's Crazy Chase, and something just occurred to me. Wouldn't it be cool to have a 7800 Hunt the Lumpus with uh, updated graphics and everything? Man, what other classic uh, home console games should we have in the 7800? Oh man, um, thanks for that, Brad Hig. one. Stunrunner87 says, to make things short and simple, Casey Munchkin for the 7800 is an instant classic. Fun, fast-paced, cool sprites, and very addictive. Depending on your skills, it can be game over rather quickly, but it's a game you might play 30 times in 30 minutes. So keep the console real close to where you sit, because you'll need the reset button close. Uh, Yeah, that that is true, actually. Actually... You know what? Actually, that's not necessarily true. I do believe the game automatically starts once it's over. So maybe you don't really need the console that that really close to you. Uh, I don't know off the. I think the Odyssey 2 version is like that too. That's one reason the game hooks you in because it keeps starting over for you. All right. Thank you, Stunrunner87. Hey, thank you, everybody, for your feedback.
0: When you're hungry for real excitement, munch. When you're hungry for fast action, munch. With Odyssey's new Casey Munchkin video game, it's eat or be eaten as you chase through mind-boggling mazes, gobbling up coins. And when you're hungry to step up the challenge, Munch. Odyssey computer keyboard lets you program a myriad of mazes all your own. Nobody else's maze game does that. Casey Munchkin available now. Oh, Odyssey programmed by you.
1: I did a little bit of research as to what happened since Casey Munchkin was a thing back in the 80s. Well, Ed Averett actually ended up writing most of the games for the Odyssey 2 library, but he had the foresight to recognize that there was going to be some pretty serious stuff happening in the video game industry. So before he became a victim of the North American video game crash in 1983, he wisely bailed out. Since 2006, he's been working over at Microsoft on the Windows Shell team, but uh, we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> His wife, Linda, uh, with whom he actually worked back in the Odyssey two days, uh, she also works at Microsoft. Uh, Judge George N. Leighton, or is it Leighton? Now we're not going to get into that mess again, but uh, remember, he's the one who ruled in Phillips' favor in the original case. He retired in 1987 and then practiced law with the firm of Earl L. Neal & Associates. And since then, there's been a postal facility in New Bedford, Massachusetts, his hometown, named in his honor. And the Cook County Criminal Courthouse in Chicago at 26th and California is also named in his honor. Um, I've been there myself, personally. I had to do, I had to go there once for jury duty, uh, from which I was dismissed. Um, anyway, the other judge I mentioned before, one of the other judges I mentioned before, actually, Circuit Court Jesse E. Eschbach, He was the one who heard Atari's appeal. He retired on October 1st, 2000, and five years later, he died a day shy of his 85th birthday. District Judge Myron L. Gordon, who was another judge who presided over the appeal, had a reputation of being one of those no-nonsense judges, and he was a legal genius. In 1992, Milwaukee Magazine gave him high ratings for scholarship and decisiveness, In 2001, he got the State Bar of Wisconsin's Lifetime Jurist Achievement Award, and he died on November 3rd, 2009. As for Jaynes and Bob DiCrescenzo, well, as far as I can tell, Jaynes hasn't done much developing since Casey Munchkin. Bob still comes out with some great homebrews, although he's been known to go on hiatus from time to time. In fact, as of the date I'm recording this, he's just about on the verge of having at least one more title released in the Atari Age store, and I can't wait for that personally. But whatever the case is, he has a lot more games that I need to talk about in upcoming episodes of this podcast. But... Those games are going to have to wait because this is the end of episode two. So I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks with an overview of the homebrew called Alpha Race. And unless anybody has an objections, I'm not going to do the play along thing anymore because I realize that not many people have a lot of these homebrews. And so I'm not going to do that. Plus, I've yet to hear anybody submit a score for me. So um, if you want to go ahead and show off your scores, feel free to send screen caps of your score or any other comments, including audio, if you so desire. You can uh, email your submissions to homebrew78 at fab4it.com. That's F-A-B, the number 4, it.com. You can contribute via the Atari 78 Homebrew Podcast Facebook page and, of course, the corresponding threads on the Atariage and Atari.io message boards. Until then, and beyond then, remember, please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve.
0: Here are 7800 Easter Eggs for your Easter enjoyment. Now be good, boys and girls, and don't listen to these unless you want spoilers.
1: Ho, ho,
0: ho, happy Easter!
1: That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have another game that has an Easter Egg. Yes, there is an Easter Egg in the Atari 7800 version of Casey Munchkin. You heard me mention before that Pac-Man Red on Atari Age had offered up two different versions of the sprites in the game, one version that was very faithful to the Odyssey 2's versions of the graphics, and another that takes advantage of the significantly more advanced capabilities of the Atari 7800. When you fire up your KC Munchkin cartridge on your Atari 7800, you get the higher quality 7800 graphics. However, if you want the Odyssey 2 style graphics, here's what you gotta do. With the KC Munchkin cartridge already inserted into your Atari 7800, hold down the pause button and power the machine on. And don't let go of the pause button until you get the game's main menu. And now you'll be playing a game with the original Odyssey 2 style sprites. Thanks everybody. Talk at y'all later.